God, we do not want to fret because of evildoers. We do not want to be envious because of wrongdoers. For we are reminded through your word that they will soon fade away like the grass and wither like the fields upon this earth that fades away. Instead, Lord, we trust in you. We trust in the Lord. And we want to continue to do good. We want to dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. God, teach us to delight ourselves in the Lord. And in that place of delight, you will give us the desires of our hearts. And may you, Jesus, always be the desire of our hearts. We commit our ways to you. We trust in you that you will act in due time. That you will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. So we are still before the Lord and we wait patiently for you. So Father, we thank you that you are good and you are a God who will restore all things as you have created them to be. And Father, right now we ask for your grace to manifest itself in power in this place as we gather in your name that you would release the power of your spirit as your word is declared, changing lives, opening eyes, ears, hearts, so that we will receive all that you desire to give to us today, that we'll be ready to hear your voice and respond to that voice in complete obedience. And Father, I surrender myself to you, and as your son and as your servant, I ask that you would fill me, anoint me, and give me the honor of being used by you to bring the name of Jesus glory through the proclamation of your eternal, life-changing word. Use me today to be your mouthpiece, to convey your heart and your truth. God, I also ask for strength at this time that I would not lean upon my own ability, but God, trust in your goodness to sustain me in this hour. So Lord, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing and honorable in your sight. Oh Lord, our rock, our redeemer. And it is in your precious son's name we pray. You know, you may have heard uh, this story of a king who offered his daughter in marriage to the brave man who would swim across a body of water filled with crocodiles and other obstacles. The princess was beautiful, and many young men throughout the kingdom uh, gathered together in hopes of winning her hand in marriage. But one by one, as each young man looked into this body of water, fear overcame them. And no one took that challenge. So the king said, yes, it will take courage, but more than that, it will also take faith to believe you can do this. And that is the kind of son-in-law I want to have, one of courage, but also one of faith. And then suddenly, splash, a young man went into the water, swimming ferociously, wrestling the crocodiles, beating them up, swinging them to the side until finally he reached the other side, safe and sound. And the crowd cheered. And the other men who were in competition, they couldn't believe their eyes, what they just witnessed. And the king was impressed. And so the king came down to see this young man and said, you have the courage and the faith worthy to be my son-in-law. Would you like to meet your new bride now? 
To which the young man got up and replied, I'm uh, sure, but before I do that, I just want to know one thing. Who pushed me into the water? (laughs) Was that true faith? Was that true courage? Not really. But this world applauds true faith, true courage. Because you see, true faith is not just a virtue to be admired, it is an essential part of the Christian life. In fact, Hebrews tells us that without faith, we cannot please God. But the reverse is also true, that with faith, we delight the hearts of God. So faith is so vital uh, to our relationship with God, it's important to know the difference between true faith and the imitation. So then, what does true faith look like? And that's what we want to explore today. Open your Bibles to James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, as we continue our study through the book of James today. Uh, Our passage last week, we explored what the true church, what the real church is supposed to look like. And today, James will help us discover what true faith looks like. And so, follow along with me in your outline as well. And the first thing that we learned today about true faith is that true faith will pursue justice. So, everyone repeat, true faith will pursue justice. Surprised? I was too. Now, before you're like, hey, Eddie, are you just on this justice phase right now? How, how does justice fit into true faith? Isn't that kind of a side thing that Christians can do if they're nice and good? But come on, is that really an element of true faith? Uh, let's explore that question, actually. Uh, but to begin, what is justice, though? Uh, we can define it in many ways, but simply put, We could say justice is seeking to make wrong things right again. So, the wrong things that are happening in the world, we want to make it right. That is a desire for justice within our world. So, the killing of babies in the womb we see as wrong, and so we want to see it stop. So, that's a desire for justice for the vulnerable unborn. The slavery of millions around the world today, that is wrong, and we want to see them set free. So that's a desire for justice. And God created families. God created children to be raised within a loving family environment. That would be ideal. So for the 150-plus million orphans in the world who have no families or someone in the world to give them love, that too is a wrong that we want to see made right. That is a desire for justice. But the pursuit of making wrongs right again is not just a desire for justice, that is a part of our redemptive story that we are a part of as well. That is a part of God's redemptive history that He is taking us through. You see, sin entered the world, and with sin coming into our worlds, brought with it curses, condemnation, separation, and death. So these are all wrongs that harm all of creation, that harms us, that harms our relationship to God. And so God chose to step into our wrong world to make things right again. 
And it is the power of the cross that takes our curses and instead gives us blessings instead. It takes our condemnation and gives us forgiveness. The cross bridges the gap of separation that sin created and gives us intimate access to the Father in heaven. And so we know God Almighty as Father as well. And the cross exchanges death for life. It turns mourning into dancing. It turns sinners into saints. It turns crucifixions into resurrections. That is the story of redemption, but that is also the story of God's pursuit for justice, to make the wrongs in this world right again. So it is an important part of our salvation story, and justice is also important to Jesus as well. Luke chapter 11, verse 42 says, But woe to you Pharisees! For you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders and saying, yeah, you're tithing, you're honoring God in worship in these ways, and that's fine, but you forgot a crucial element, and that is you forgot justice and the love of God. He teaches us that justice should not be neglected in our discipleship. That is a part of our faith journey. So now let's look at verse 14 of James chapter 2, and let's see this unfold a bit more in our primary passage for today. James chapter 2, 14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works. Can that faith save him? So he is examining what is true faith and what does true faith really look like. So when he asks, can that faith save him, he's really meaning, is that true saving faith? And then he gives an example, verse 15 and following. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So now the example that he gives to show what true saving faith looks like deals with justice of all things. So he says, if we are well fed, if we're well off, if we have plenty but we meet a brother or sister who does not have food, clothing, or daily necessities, who is not well off, the fruits of true faith will pursue justice for these brothers and sisters. So he also says, if we don't care about the brother, that brother, or if we don't do anything about that person in need, James wonders if we have true faith. Look at verse 17 again. So also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. So true saving faith cares about and pursues justice for the poor and the oppressed. We can also say it like this. A living faith produces a loving life. And this loving life leads to compassion and justice. You see, true conviction for the gospel results in true compassion for the lost, the poor, and the vulnerable. 
And, and so it is the gospel that motivates us to pursue justice, both in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm. But how? What's the connection between true faith and justice? Like in the example James gives here, true faith cares about justice for the physical, in the physical realm. So the real needs that surround our communities should matter to the church. Uh, if I have bread, I don't ask God and pray that he will give bread to my poor neighbor next to me. I give him bread. I become the answer to his prayer for bread. That is justice. And if we lived in the same time period as Martin Luther King, the church should be bothered by the racism and segregation that our brothers and sisters face on a regular basis. If we live in Africa, different parts of Africa or Southeast Asia, where AIDS is a common killer for many children and adults, the true church with true faith will care about these physical ailments of our neighbors. And if we lived in war-torn Syria today and saw the thousands of children left on the streets, the true church with true faith would seek to care for these children. Not just pray for them and hope somebody will take care of them. No, we become the answer to their cries for help and thereby establishing justice. So true saving faith is concerned about and pursues justice. You see, there are several people who have come to OEM these past few years and have said to our leadership, the reason why I came to OEM after years of not attending church is because I heard about what you guys are doing to actually live out the Bible in meeting the needs of our community and not just talking about it. And so a lot of you have also given that same testimony. So doing good and doing justice is an expression of worship to God, and it is a witness to the world. Jesus even says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So when done properly and with the right motives, good deeds bring great glory to God. Now, I remember that I did say true faith will pursue justice in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm. Because I know that there are some of you who aren't convinced yet that faith and justice are connected uh, because you see it as a physical thing and you think spiritual things are more important or you see it as a social justice type label and not really a spiritual uh, pursuit of the Christian life. Uh, so for those who aren't convinced yet, about the connection between faith and justice, let me share how the spiritual pursuit of justice runs parallel with the physical pursuit of justice and faith. And the way that I want to help unpack it is to help you understand and see that missions is an expression of justice. Let me explain. Like physical poverty... If there is a child that you come across who has no food and you have a lot of food, that is an injustice for us to keep that physical food to ourselves. Justice means that we share our bread to that starving child. 
that is justice. And spiritually, the same principle applies. There is a child, there is a people group that has no access to bread from heaven, Jesus Christ, or his gospel. That they are starving and in a spiritual famine. Many countries around the world, right? less than 1%, and some countries, 0.003% evangelicals within that nation. So they have no access to bread from heaven. Therefore, we who have the gospel, those of us with true faith, will desire to give that gospel to the one who does not have it. Our desire will be that that spiritual famine will be satisfied by the church sending forth and for us going to these nations that have yet to taste of the bread of heaven, Jesus Christ, so that they might know of him. That is how missions is an expression of justice. Amen? You see, the reason why we are committed to missions, and specifically the unreached and unengaged people groups of the world, is out of obedience, yes. It is out of love, yes. But also it is a matter of justice. That we have tons of Bibles on our bookshelves. We have churches on every block of the countries that we live in now and the countries that a lot of us have come from. Church, Christianity, the Bible is saturated wherever we go in so many parts of our lives. And yet, there are many people who do not have access to a church, to a witness, to a Bible, and that is an injustice. And so we pursue justice by meeting the spiritual needs of these people. And so we support, send, and go to places that do not know the gospel yet. You see, the reason why we started a church plant in Isan, Northeast Highland, two weeks ago, is because of justice, and not in the sense that you might be thinking right now. Yes, it's because there's a lot of human trafficking in that region of the world. Yes, it's because a lot of women and children are vulnerable to pimps and traffickers in that part of Thailand. But an even greater reason why we go there is because it is one of the least reached places in all the world. There are hardly any churches in that part of Thailand. And that is an injustice. In our wealth of spirituality, there is not a church there. Therefore, we are establishing a church in that region of Thailand. The reason why there is so much darkness there is because there is no light. And so we send the church who is the light of the world to shine into darkness. That is justice. According to the Joshua Projects, if you're unfamiliar with that, become familiar with it. Uh, it's a website that uh, keeps updated all the unreached people groups of the world. So according to the Joshua Project, there are still about 7,000 unreached people groups in the world today. Most are in the 1040 window. So the 1040 window meaning 10 degrees uh, to 40 degrees north of the equator between from Asia to Africa. Right? So that window of nations around the world is called the 1040 window, and that has the least reached people groups in all the world. And what is the best way to reach these unreached groups? By targeting the 414 window, which represents the age group of children between the ages of 4 and 14, that age bracket 
is the most uh, likely for the heart of a child to understand and receive the gospel. Therefore, that has been our strategy for our missions movement within Thailand as well. They're in the 1040 window, one of the least reached places in all of Thailand, and also we are beginning with a children's outreach and ministry targeting the 414 window. That is wisdom, that is strategy, and that is justice to bring food from heaven into their souls. Amen? So, when we pray for missions and our future, this needs to be a key part of how we think through our future next steps. A couple of people from OEM a few months ago recently went to the Middle East because of our vision. And if you are new, let me share that with you. Our mission is to get you on mission with God, and we are a sending church. And so what we challenge you to do is while you are here, pray for missions, give to missions, strategize and figure out how you can be on mission with God. And when your contract is finished in Korea, don't make going to your home country your default destination thinking that, of course, I'm just going to assume that when my contract is up, I just go back home. Don't think like that anymore as a world Christian, as a biblical functioning Christian. Begin praying about, God, after my time in Korea is finished, is there another part of the world that does not have a strong Christian presence that you want me to go to with my buddies? That's fine. And together, pray about a region of the world. And that is why these people are in the Middle East right now. They caught that vision. And you know, also right now, during our staff, um, we have staff meetings Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Wednesdays uh, for the past several weeks our staff, we've been evaluating this past year and planning for next year. And one of the things that I've uh, wanted to emphasize to our staff is that the factor, one of the most unique factors about OEM or life in Korea or ministry in Korea is the transient nature of this church. Right? So many people come in and out, flow through this ministry. You're here for a day, some of you. You're here just for a month, some of you. And for a lot of people, they're here just for a year or two. And a lot of people who know the, this factor about ministry here, my other friends who are pastors in other parts of the world, they say, Eddie, you must have a hard time because you always have people coming and going. You never have, like, everybody set there all the time. And it must be so hard. It must be such a weakness of your leadership, of your ministry, of trying to find servants to lead ministry. It must be so hard. And I needed to reiterate to our staff that that transient nature of OEM is not a weakness. It is a strength. We embrace it as a gift of grace from God. Why? Because most churches around the world, their problem is that every church member will never leave that church. They're forever showing up week after week until they die, which is, of course, is not bad if God's calling them to that. But the reason why I embrace this as a blessing and strength of OEM is because it is a blessing to be able to be a sending body of Christ. That how... I want our leadership to view the transient nature as that God has called you here for a season. 
And while you're here, whether you're only here today or this year or a couple of years, we want to instill a vision for the mission of God that has yet to be completed, that Christ has commissioned us to finish, so that as you are here, you gain God's heart for the lost, gain God's heart for the nations. You have that vision, and then you leave here with that vision to an unreached place of this world. That, to me, is a success. Not keeping as many people here as long as possible, that's not a success to me. But that when God calls you elsewhere, you leave with the vision for the nations that need to know Jesus. That is a heart of justice. Amen? So that is why we are committed to bringing the gospel to where it is not known. That is God's heart for justice. Verse 18, but some will say, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So James is saying, saving faith will have sanctified works. So part of that sanctified work will care deeply about justice. So true faith will pursue justice in all its forms, in the physical as well as the spiritual. But there's another sign of true saving faith that James speaks of in our passage, and that is probably something that you're a little bit more familiar with, and that is that true faith will trust in Jesus. So everyone repeat, true faith will trust in Jesus. Right, so a key element of faith that you must know Please listen carefully. Saving faith, true faith, is more than just believing the right facts. That is crucial for you to understand. True saving faith is more than just believing the right facts. So let's say that you believe the whole Bible is the true and living Word of God, inerrant in its original form, good. So that's good. You believe the Bible is the Word of God, it is true, it is powerful, you, you believe it, good. Amen? All right, so we're, we're cool here. You believe that Jesus, the second person of the triune God, came in the form of a human baby, born of the Virgin Mary, walked upon this planet over 2,000 years ago, lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross for the sins of mankind, of all who would place their trust in Him. He was buried in the tomb, and on the third day He rose again from the dead in victory and ascended into heaven and will return one day. You believe that? Amen? Good. That's good. You believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation, that you believe the Bible and Christianity is the one true religion, all other religions are false and deceptive, you believe that without a shadow of a doubt, amen? Good. You just believed everything that I just said? Very good then that means you have the exact same faith level as Satan. So congratulations. 
James 2.19, you believe that God is one, that there is no other but the one true God, Yahweh. Good, you do well. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. You see, Satan believes and knows that the Bible is 100% true. It is written, the written word of God. Satan knows without a shadow of doubt that Jesus Christ is the second member of the triune God, came in a virgin birth, lived a perfect life, died upon the cross, was buried, rose again. Satan knows it probably with even greater conviction than us because he was actually there to witness it. He knows that to be true without a doubt. He knows that all other religions are deceptive means leading people into hell. He knows that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Satan and his demons know this. So if you believe that everything that I just said to be true, you have the same faith level as Satan and his demons. So true faith is not just believing the right facts because then Satan qualifies for heaven if that's all it took. But you might be like, Eddie, but I was taught in the church growing up, if I just believe, I'll be saved. I mean, isn't that what the Bible says too? I mean, Eddie, look at the verses you provide to John 6, 29. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has said. Acts 16.31 of all verses, Eddie, come on. It says, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Come on. Eddie, I, I believe. I believe that Jesus, God, I believe that he died. I believe he rose again. I believe. It says, believe and you'll be saved. What are you talking about? Believe is more than just agreeing to the facts. What is true faith in? What does it mean to truly believe? Listen carefully, because your eternal destiny is at stake here. What does believe mean here? Is it believe that God is real? More than that, Satan knows God is real. Let me help you understand it this way. If I were to say to you, let's say we're just having a one-to-one -one conversation, and I'm standing in front of you, and I ask you, do you believe in me? Am I asking, do you believe that I'm a real person and not a ghost in front of you right now? No, that's not what I'm asking. If I say, do you believe in me? What I am asking is, do you trust in me? True faith is about trusting in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. I am not acceptable to God because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And so we must move beyond intellectual assent of right facts to a heartfelt trust in the person and work of Christ that leads to a life surrendered and transformed because of that complete trust. So true faith will trust in Jesus. Amen?
But that's not all. What else is true faith in light of Scripture from our passage today? So, it, true faith will manifest a fruit, a desire to pursue justice in the physical realm, in the spiritual realm. True faith is a trusting in Jesus. And the third thing that we learned today is that true faith will treasure Jesus. So, everyone repeat. True faith will treasure Jesus. All right, so saving faith leads to a stronger love for Jesus. True saving faith changes our hearts to begin treasuring Jesus. Look at James chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Now, before you get too concerned about verse 21, when he says justified by works, another way that you could read this is that his faith was proven genuine by the works that he did. So, verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God. Again, it's not just talking about he believed that he was real. He trusted God. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called what? A friend of God. So this reveals a lot of important truths here. So he believed God, meaning that there was a trust. Why? What did God ask Abraham to do? To kill his son. So there needed to be a complete trust in the person and work of who the Lord was. He believed God. He trusted God. And then it says he was called God's friend. So it shows us that he just didn't believe that God was real, that there's a real God, and there's not a, and then there's false God. No, he trusted him because he had a friendship with him. Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And again, this is also potentially a shocking for people, but to be clear, again, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That does not change. But true faith is never just alone by itself. We're saved through faith alone, grace alone, in Christ alone, but true faith is never just alone. There are fruits, natural byproducts of a life that is rooted in Christ. It will have the fruit of good works flowing from that tree of trust. Verse 25, and in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So these verses give two examples of how faith resulted in works. Surprisingly, he uses the examples of Abraham and Rahab. You can't probably get any more opposite than that. The father of faith and a prostitute, right? But his point is the same, though. Their faith resulted in radical obedience stemming from a radical love 
for the Lord. What did God ask Abraham to do? Kill his son. And what did Abraham do? Early morning, early in the morning the next day, he obeyed. But as I was reflecting upon it some more, that's not really radical faith. That's real faith that trusts. He obeyed quickly and completely. It showed true faith that treasured God above anyone else in his life. That treasured God above his only son. He trusted God, he obeyed God because he treasured God. You see, true faith responds to the word of God. It moves when God's word calls us to move. True faith doesn't debate, it doesn't delay. If God said it, we do it. That is the nature of true faith, of true trust, of true relationship with the Lord. And that's why we're trying to find ways to help orphans in this nation, either through adoption, foster care, big brother, big sister programs. Um, Next Sunday will be Orphan Sunday. Uh, We're going to be honoring the orphans and invite some of our... uh, We're actually going to have a beautiful orphan choir next Sunday. So if you want to bring some friends uh, who have a heart for this issue, uh, next Sunday would be a good time to bring someone as well. Now... Why do we pursue justice for the orphan? Is it because it's a nice thing? It's, it's not because it's a nice thing, even though it's a nice thing to do but to care about orphans. The reason why we pursue justice for the orphan is because God's word says to. That is why. God's word says it. This is a problem for this nation. Therefore, we're going to respond and do something about it. And another way to understand these verses would be, in true salvation, the fruits of justification is a heart and life transformation. Let me say it again. True salvation. In true salvation, the fruits of justification, the natural byproduct of justification, is a heart and life transformation. What you love changes when you encounter Christ. What you hate changes what you consider valuable changes when you encounter the living God. When you meet the living God as friend, as Savior, as Lord, what you love in this world changes to things of the kingdom. What you hate changes to the things that burden the heart of God. What you value changes based on kingdom priorities. You see, if What you love stays the same from when you, before you met Christ and after you met Christ. If what you hate stays the same, if what you value stays the same as the world's, James is asking, then do we have true faith? Because things change in the place of passion for those who encounter the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 25, And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? And for Rahab, this is an example of her treasuring the Lord. How? 
through her loyalty that was greater to God and his servants than the laws of the land and even her own people. And our love for Jesus must be of such fierce loyalty that compared to Jesus, it would appear that we hate father, mother, brother, sister because we treasure Jesus so much. That is the fruits of true faith. A treasuring of Jesus that declares to the world, is he not worthy? Is he not worthy of all of our lives? Is he not worthy to be lived for? Is he not the greatest person to live for in all the world? Is he not worthy? That is the declaration of true faith that has seen and beheld the beauty of our Savior. Money is not worthy of our lives to be lived for. It is Jesus. Titles, power, position is not worthy of your life, of your life's devotion and sacrifice and dedication. Jesus is worthy. The ultimate signs of life for true saving faith is a greater love for Jesus. For true faith in Jesus transforms our hearts so we begin loving like Jesus and living for Him. So the question we must ask ourselves today is this. Do I have the vital signs of true saving faith? Do I pursue justice? Do I trust in Jesus? Do I treasure Christ above, above all other things? Do I simply believe with my head or do I believe with a heart that has been transformed by the life of Jesus? Because when the truth of the gospel is affirmed in my head and changes the affections and passions of my heart and transforms my life's direction and dedication, that's when we know true faith has been born within our lives. Because that's what true faith looks like. Let's pray. For some of you here today, you have been deceived because you thought that just believing the Bible and that Christianity was true was enough to save your soul. And it is not. That is the same faith level as Satan. It's time to move from affirming truth 
to a surrendered heart that will transform your life. If you were offended today, that's okay. If you were shocked by that truth today, that's okay. I'd rather have you shocked today than shocked when you stand on judgment day before God. True faith is not just agreeing with truth that it's true. It is a trust. It is a surrender. It is a cherishing of Jesus. If you have never fully trusted in the person and work of Jesus Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do so today. Place your hand over your heart as a symbol of your whole life and surrender your sins, surrender your intellect, surrender your emotions, surrender your past, your present, your future to the Lord today. And ask the Lord for a heart transformation that will trust fully and completely only in Him and that will treasure Him above all else. Can we do that? Let's pray together. For those of you who have trusted in Christ, can I ask that you would pray for your faith to come alive today. Pray for your faith to awaken today to live no longer in slumber but for the Lord let's pray together shall we let's pray
so stand together and sing. I see a generation. And I see a generation. Rise up. Rising up to take their place. With selfless faith. With selfless faith. And I see a
up a prayer of praise to our Lord and declare, Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of our best. You are worthy of our life's service fully for you for all of its days. That Jesus, you are worthy to be lived for. No one else but you. Can we just love him with that Praise that prayer of surrender, declaring that only He is worthy of the top spot of our life's devotion and dedication. Let's bless the Lord through our prayer right now. Let's pray together. Can we just pray a blessing uh, to our neighbor next to us? If you just place a hand on their shoulder and ask that the Lord would awaken their heart, their passions, their faith to grow strong and to be alive for the things of the Lord. That we would not delay, that we would not discuss, that we would not debate when God calls us forth into His kingdom work. That we would obey quickly, completely, all for the Lord, all for His glory. So let's bless each other with a faith that will come alive with the cherishing of Jesus in the center. Let's pray.
God Almighty, Father in heaven, Abba Father, thank you for the saving work of your Son. Thank you for adopting us into your family forever. Thank you for the privilege of calling us partners in your kingdom work. Right now, we want to declare with our hearts that you are worthy to be lived for, that you are worthy of our best, that you are worthy of our life's devotion. God, no one else is worthy but you. So, Father, I pray that with all that we are, all that we have, it would be lived in complete trust in Jesus, and it would be lived out of the treasury of all that he is. That until our final breath, and even with our final breath, we would declare the worthiness of the Lamb. That we would declare to the nations, worthy is the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. That the injustice of nations not having a Christian witness would burden our hearts to pray, to give, to go in order to make that wrong right again. God, give us your heart for justice that we would no longer live a comfortable Christianity, but we would live for the kingdom and the glory of your Son. That with every heartbeat and with every breath, it would be lived to the glory of your name. For you, Lord, let us live for you. Let us breathe for you. Let our hearts beat with passion for you. For you alone are worthy of our lives. And God, I pray for the grace that until my final breath and with my final breath would be the praises and the proclamation of Christ as King. So God, give us your vision for the nations. Give us your vision for the kingdom. And send forth everyone who comes to OEM, to the nations. May we continue to give you thanks for the uniqueness of this ministry. That the transiency would turn into treasuring Christ and the kingdom by going to the nations. May you instill kingdom vision for every single person who comes to this ministry, be it for a day or a decade, and they would live their lives for you. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling 
and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory without fault, but with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is worthy, be glory, majesty, dominion, power, praise, life, surrender, authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.